From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. From the Cold War to propaganda and the deep state, Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hello, this is uh, the Pelinirath Taylor Show, and I'm going to talk about a topic which is not usually covered by myself, which is the royal family. Um, perhaps the whole world knows by now that uh, King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer of an unspecified sort. And of course, we wish him a speedy recovery uh, on a personal level. And uh, beyond saying that uh, vaccines have uh, allegedly caused turbo cancers and uh, among them multiply jabbed. I won't say anything more about that. No, seriously. I just want to talk a little bit about the royal family using that as the news peg excuse, as it were. I remember uh, having spent a few years in um, a junior high school in Sweden, coming back to the UK as a sort of politically literate uh, teenager and uh, being catapulted into an upper class world of my, uh, my father's uh, family and background and a very nice school and going to a lot of uh, posh weddings and uh, garden parties and so on. And people who connected to this whole machine of, of the aristocracy and the royal family and God knows. And at first being rather intimidated by it and impressed by people's utter self-possession as if everyone was playing a role which they'd played all their lives uh, compared to the, and I felt like an American or that come from Sweden, that is the, the sort of uh, social insecurity of the Arivist. And, um, but in time I got a bit bored by it, uh, although there was a sort of opaqueness about it. Uh, and uh, although I much appreciated the ritual, I think that uh, I actually read, uh, I was never a Marxist or anything, but I remember reading about Lenin, who spent a lot of time in, in the UK and at the British Library, saying that uh, inside every Englishman's head is a plank beyond which no ideas penetrate. And what he meant was there wasn't this large scale worldview, how can we change the world, sort of how does the world function kind of mentality, but people were living in, in, in a world more uh, based on tradition and, and ritual and knowing one's place and uh, a world of details and rituals and customs. And um, I, I sort of felt that, and it's probably why Britain has never had a re revolution, unlike many other countries. Um, but I, I've since taken it, in, and of course the royal family is at the top of, of this world. And, and what I'm saying now, uh, I think we'll have a lot of, uh, lot of colonials, a lot of Australians, Canadians, and um, Americans maybe, nodding their heads in recognition of this. I think there's a lot to be said for a world of custom and even the class system. Um, <laughs> well, um, I, there was uh, some left-leaning sociologists have actually been talking about this. Um, I think Richard Sennett and Christopher Lash, I'll have to go back to their books, but what they were saying was that in a society based on class, every, where everyone knew their place and lived in, in this world of interlocking small worlds, of, of small talk, ritual, custom, details, they're what we call it's somewhere people, whereas the uh, middle classes and, and colonials, which we are, are the anywhere people, you know, and because and, and anywhere who are not settled in their status as much have to find other markers uh, and they find it hard to relate to one another because they don't know where the other person stands and who he is. Whereas in a world of of the class, you know, the, the each class, the work class and the, and the upper class in Britain, utterly confident of who they are. And they play roles like in a play and, and they don't want to be anyone else and they're not. And it's the middle class of Britain who are sort of, you know, 
like the colonials, they're, they're, they're the intellectuals and they're not quite sure of who they are and they're looking for status markers and they're revisionist of the old British system. And both the upper class and the working class in Britain uh, sort of make fun of the middle class. Um, and the middle class were waving their flags, uh, upper class that were, were having their dinner parties and aristocratic links and the working class were having their jubilee parties with shepherd's pie and waving the Union Jack in a rather non-toxic version of nationalism. And, um, you know, Britain went to, uh, about its merry way. Um, and so I've, I've always been a, for a long time, I've been a reluctant royalist saying, well, I can see the uses of, of this kind of country. And isn't that to some extent what I believe in well as well? I mean, I don't want a, a UN world government where we're all robots and uh, consumers, whatever you want to call it, or, or ciphers with no culture. This is the essence of culture. At the same time, of course, I'm, I'm aware of uh, and have followed, for instance, the bad things that the, associated with the royal family. I mean, not least the death of uh, Diana. And I've read the books. There's a very good Australian called John Morgan. I think he's died now of some wasting disease. But he wrote books that convinced me uh, that uh, she had died an, uh, a natural death, unnatural death. And uh, maybe the British Special Forces had conspired in the assassination with these uh, heavy-duty motorbikes that followed her. And then someone flashed a strobe light into the tunnel where Diana's Mercedes crashed into. And, you know, the extent to which the royal family is involved in that, I don't know. But certainly it's, uh, you know, uh, royals have been executed before. Just look at the portrait of Lady Jane Grey. I think it's in the um, in the National Port uh, National Gallery in London. And then, of course, you know, for for people thinkers and the like, people sort of trying to work out how the world works. Uh, who our next guest, main guest, is going to be Alex Kreiner. Would believe that the royal family is at this apex of a, a world run by British and American banks to create wars and and do many bad things. And, and the royal family is sort of the be beautifying part of this. So uh, I wish Prince Ch uh, King Charles very speedy recovery, but uh, the there are questions about the royal family and there'll probably be a lot of mail coming through now. But uh, after the break, we'll talk about uh, today's news with our news producer, Basil Valentine. This is TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Basil. What have you got for us today? Good morning, Pele, and hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world. I did enjoy your opening monologue there, but I'm afraid I have to pick you up on one little point. England right, did okay. have a revolution in the 1640s, culminating oh, yeah. in the decapitation of Charles's namesake, Charles I. Of course, exactly the, his predecessor. Yeah, that's right. They largely led to the restoration of the monarchy, albeit with reduced powers. We never went back to the absolutism that carried on in France until their revolution about 150 years later, much to some mm. people's disappointment. Uh, Charles Indeed, himself yeah. has emerged from a private clinic this morning alongside Queen Camilla. Notice that she's now simply referred to as Queen Camilla. There's no queen consort anymore and in the yeah. aftermath of diana's death um a lot of people were saying it was only 27 years ago camilla can never be queen you know mm. she was this yeah, dreadful mistress that was sort of had played uh, some sort of background role in the disaster of the wales's marriage and that she would never be queen but now uh, it, it's almost as if None of that ever happened. That's all been airbrushed out of history, which is something the royals are very good at. But they won't be able to airbrush Charles's cancer away. 
Uh, as yeah. you mentioned in your opening monologue, I mean, it is um, one for the uh, conspiracy theorists, whether or not he had the jabs. Now, yeah. I think he probably had the injections. And uh, according to a number of experts, of course, including Professor Angus Dalgleish of St. George's Hospital Tooting, Professor of Oncology, the jabs are related to these turbo cancers, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The conspiracy theorists say, ah, well, no, as part of that beautifying crust on top of the awful body politic that runs the world and ferments all these wars, Charles will have been in on the fix and he won't have had the lethal stuff. They will have given him a placebo. That's right. a conspiracy theory. <laughs> And uh, not okay. one I necessarily adhere to. I don't think uh, uh, the royals uh, are in. Like, go on. And I, I have this obsession with uh, assassinations because I, you know, I wrote a book about the First World War and its origins. And uh, I sort of think, well, in two weeks' time, they'll discover that there was a Russian agent hanging around Buckingham Palace or something. Oh, <laughs> and with a And, uh, uh, you know, we have to declare war on Russia because what, what, what oh. better reason could there be? I don't think so, but I mean, my imagination goes runs right in, in these events. You know, I've been uh, so well, poisoned you know, by uh, reading these books. Well, uh, you know, as you know, uh, the uh, CIA were looking for cancer-causing drugs in the early 1960s and originally had a plan to administer them to Fidel Castro. And yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Oswald's girlfriend was uh, tied up in in that whole business and uh, again a, another conspiracy theory is that uh, the jamaican reggae star uh, bob marley uh, was given cancer early uh, in mm. a poisoned pair of boots so oh. that is a conspiracy theory what isn't a conspiracy theory is that mi6 worker gareth williams was found dead inside a zipped holdall in his London flat. Um, oh, I remember that. And a what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bizarre, well, bizarre case, you know. Um, but a forensic review of his death uh, has just concluded and uh, has not uncovered any fresh evidence to suggest he was with someone else when he died. So the suggestion, therefore, is that it was some kind of probably auto-erotic disaster. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Is that what you think, or, or is that what the the um, well? That's the implication of the inquiry. Mm. That's right. He was last mm. seen alive on the fifteenth of August, twenty ten. Eight days later, he was found dead inside a zipped and padlocked North Face holdall in an empty right. bath in his central London flat. His bad body was badly decomposed after remaining in the bag in the August heat until he was discovered. Tests found no traces of alcohol, drugs, or poison in his body. He worked as a code breaker at GCHQ and was on a three-year secondment to MI6 at the time of his death. Is that a coincidence, Pelly? Or uh, no, exactly. You know, but what I mean. So the stupid question is why? How could he padlock his own bag if it was auto-erotic? Well, this is it. Uh, the, mm. the inquest in 2012 found his death was unnatural and likely to have been criminally mediated, is the uh, term used by the coroner. Um, 
who concluded that on the balance of probabilities he was unlawfully killed. But the police investigation was that he had died accidentally on his own. Probably. Mm. Probably. Mm. Um, and I think that word probably was used to describe the death of JFK by the House Assassinations Committee in the 1970s, wasn't it? Yeah. They concluded that, that John F. Kennedy was probably killed by a conspiracy. Do you remember that there was a Stephen Milligan as well, was that MP and a former journalist died in something like an autoerotic asphyxiation That's 25 right. years ago, maybe. But I don't know anything about that. That's right. That's right. But, uh, mm. it's, it's funny how these autoerotic asphyxiation deaths can be related to people in the establishment. That's right. I sort of think that these things, these grisly, these sort of um, semi-pornographic things are placed there because we're not supposed to dig into it further because it's sort of disreputable even to mention it, just to use this on air. And so we stay, we stay away from the subject, you know. It's, it, Absolutely. It's like an I feel slightly uncomfortable. I feel slightly exactly, uncomfortable yeah. talking about it myself, Pelly. In case exactly. I'm right. the next person to be found inside <laughs> exactly. a zipped, padlocked hold all in an empty bath in their flat. But uh, touch right. wood, that won't happen to me. It's a bit of a one-off thing. Um, have you th now we have go on. Well, have you got any thoughts? I haven't spent much time thinking about it since since I just read it on the news, you know, and I thought, well. That sounds a bit dodgy, you know, but then one moves up, yes. moves on as one does. Uh, but well, you... exactly, and I, I think that's it. It really looks like uh, that's the end of the story. It really does. I don't think that there doesn't appear to be a single lead coming out of it in any direction whatsoever. So perhaps for that we should be glad because at least there isn't a finger pointing at Russia, China, or some other foreign agent. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we hope so. I mean, and sometimes I think that these things, this finger pointing can be done without it there being, I mean, I, what, I, what I dread, and I'll talk about it, is let's say we've got hundreds of thousands, millions of Ukrainians around Europe. What is to stop either a, a Western intelligence operation from hiring some Ukrainians and going and assassinating someone on the street in Europe, maybe even a leader? And then easily tracing it back to Russia, because obviously Ukrainians can pass as Russians any day of the week. Um, or yes. and, and that could be either a, a Ukrainian plot or it could be a Western plot. And I suppose the Russians as well could be uh, some rogue Russians who want a war. I mean, I'm not excluding Russians are not saints. And that's don't what tell I, what, me yeah. you believe in the don't tell me you believe in the existence of false flag terror. Attacks. Exactly, yeah. No. <laughs> um, and of course, we still haven't got to the bottom of who blew up the Nord Stream. You know? No, I know. Uh, yeah, I know. That, that's all I, just been memory hold. Absolutely bizarre. An environmental disaster and an economic disaster uh, for yeah, Europe yeah. and just sort of brushed under the carpet, you know. Well, um, they had this sort of Ukrainian plot uh, which of unspecific origin uh, with some a sailing boat and yes. that disappeared. And that was to yes. fend off the German alternative media, apparently quite powerful, and saying, how can you stand for this, Schultz? You know, don't you have any any balls, you know, uh, so yeah, it's well, obviously Schultz led to right, Germany's deindustrialization or it's uh, it's uh, the weakening of its economy. That's right. Germany um, seems to be in a lot of trouble. Schultz has admitted it uh, only yesterday, admitted his government's in trouble and hemorrhaging support with economic growth absolutely stagnant. And uh, mm. the once powerhouse economy of Central Europe there uh, on its, you know, if not on its knees, then heading towards them. I just want to finish off quickly with the latest yeah. from 
the Middle East, the di- diplomatic situation. Yeah. Tony well, Blinken. Keep on for a few minutes because we got uh, the next guest uh, is uh, delayed a little bit. So talk us through a little bit of Palestine and maybe we'll go to another news po- topic. But yeah, what's, what's the okay. update on that troubled region? Uh, Tony Blinken has now landed in Egypt where he's met with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who, of course, is heavily dependent on the United States for uh, foreign aid. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, why aren't the Egyptians doing more to support the Palestinians in Gaza? Um, and uh, the simple answer to that is that Sisi's prime concern, uh, as with any other effectively dictator, there was an election recently, but he was the only candidate, viable candidate, you know. Um, yeah. You know, Sisi's priority is ceasing. It's as simple yeah. as that. And Sisi's mm-hmm. survival and the survival of his mm-hmm. regime. I mean, mm-hmm. let's not remember, it wasn't all that long ago that Morsi was president one day and a few weeks later found himself facing the death penalty. So, right. yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, you lose power somewhere like Egypt and the consequences can be extremely severe. So, you know, Sisi's obviously more concerned about Sisi than anything else. Are Blinken's uh, machinations valid? Well, you know, all he really needs to do is stand up for the ICJ ruling and say, uh, we must, you know, Israel must now abide by the terms of the ICJ ruling and immediately cease all military operations. But what is actually happening is that the Israelis have been attacking people uh, with missiles, shooting people uh, all across the Gaza Strip still to this day in direct, you know, uh, denial of the ICJ ruling, including uh, bombing people living in tents in Rafa, the point at the furthest south on the border with Egypt. So, you know, the situation has not improved uh, in any way, shape, or form, for people on the ground in Gaza. You, Go on. Do you get the impression? I mean, what's the overall picture? Is it getting worse? Are we heading towards a Middle Eastern war? Because you read all these. One reads all these stories, but um, I mean, let's let's say um, the uh, COVID crisis. I remember they had these tickers, and there were headlines saying that shortage of coffins in Italy people dying in like flies in Ecuador and so on. But when, when you actually sort of yeah. narrowed it down, we know we all know that the death rate was quite low and so on. So I'm just trying, what, what is really happening? Are we, we're seeing this is happening in Iran, the Houthis are attacking there. And, you, and it's really, you can read that and get really depressed and think we're heading towards a regional war. But what is your take on it as an expert on the region? Is it, is it um, escalating? Or, I mean, because sometimes you also hear about this Hamas, peace deal in Paris, which uh, seems to be coming off and could be a, a fantastic development. And I'm sort of pinning my hopes on that. But uh... Well, it would be. And, and, and likewise, uh, Hamas want a permanent ceasefire, a permanent yeah. end to hostilities. And basically, the Israelis don't want that. They want all the hostages released and a temporary pause in their annihilation of the Palestinian population. Israeli ministers were quoted at the weekend as saying that they would leave the government if there was a permanent ceasefire. And that, of course, means the collapse of the Netanyahu administration. Uh, as regards the wider situation, well, you know, the Americans have been bombing uh, Iranian-backed, is the popular phrase, uh, groups across Syria and Iraq. 
and they have threatened to retaliate again. So, mm. you know, somebody has to be the grown-up in the gro in the room and say enough is enough. And the biggest single okay. step forward towards that would be a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Well, I mean, Basil, it sounds all incredibly uh, complicated and worrying, and the Israelis sound implacable. And I think, obviously, the Americans are going to have to prevail on them and maybe pull their their funding or their ammunition, whatever it is. Yes. We'll, this is a running story that we will continue continue to pursue uh, many, many days ahead. Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says, the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk. TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Hi, this is Alex Kreiner. Welcome on the show. Um, you are a geopolitical analyst and former financier and extremely, I've read your posts and blogs on your Substack, And uh, it's one of those eye-opening, uh, you're one of those eye-opening genius kind of guys who probably wouldn't make a lot of friends at an English garden party, <laughs> put it that way. Um, Thank you. I, I don't know if you heard my monologue, but I, yeah, it's sort of a place where where people with uh, sophisticated ideas are not particularly welcome. Um, we, as you know, because Prince Charles has cancer, and that's obviously the main news in the UK. Uh, but what we're going to talk about is the the the, the sort of uh, for the left, as it were, uh, their worries that they they they. Dislike of the British royal family is that this is the beautiful crust on top of a of a system of war making uh, led by the Anglo American Empire, uh, which is based on the strength uh, and the powers of the British and American and global banks. So I don't know if you could talk us through that because you you're sort of connected to the COVID crisis as well. Um, I I was impressed. I, I was reading Carol Quigley for my book on uh, the origins of World War One and uh, his work on the round table and the banking system and he was an impeccable american historian i think he was memory hold by the establishment uh, but he wrote some very interesting books so can you just tell us a little bit about him 
and his theses about how wars were started and the banking system. Uh, thank you, Pelle, uh, for the introduction. It's a pleasure to join you. Um, yes, in fact, uh, Carol Quigley's book has been quite an eye-opener for me because, uh, you know, you I, I lived through the outbreak of war in the former Yugoslavia. I served as a, as a, as a soldier in the in Croatian military during the war. You, uh, we lived through 9-11. Uh, you, you know, all along you sensed that something was way, way wrong. Something was has gone badly off the rails, but it's very difficult to tell what it is because the media are just uh, covering us. The media are just uh, covering us with 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 nonsense, with uh, with a you know um, nice sounding narrative. But you sense that we're not being told the truth, and then you wonder what the truth is. And one of the first. Uh, books that I read, which opened my eyes to the existence of this uh, Anglo-American establishment, which uh, wasn't a complete surprise, but here finally you had in black and white, is was exactly Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope. It's a massive book. It's 1,300, 1,400 pages. It's, it's dense, it's packed, and it kind of blows you away every page you turn. Uh, Carol Quigley was a was an American historian. He was a professor at the George Washington University. He was the uh, the establishment man. Uh, he was member, a trusted member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He was a mm, he was actually uh, a mentor to Bill Clinton during his during the early years of his career, and uh, and so he as uh, the position that he was in enabled him to peruse the secret archives of the council of foreign relations we stopped there we'll talk is... about the, the secret archives after the news headlines this is tnt radio Thank you. tnt radio news we are your station for news news matt boyland here with your tnt headlines Donald Trump has slammed the so-called border bill released by the US Senate, calling it the dumbest bill he's ever seen. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's confirmed he's considering replacing the commander of Ukraine's armed forces, conceding a reset is needed following Kyiv's failed counter-offensive. And Tucker Carlson has ignited a media frenzy after he turned up in Russia, fueling speculation he could be there to interview President Vladimir Putin. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So, uh, Alex, you're a former soldier in the Croatian Army in the 1990s and you wanted to find out how the world works. So you read Carol Quigley, who was this establishment historian, now largely forgotten, who had access to archives uh, of the sort of British and American establishments that gave him a totally different view of the world than kind of mainstream, other mainstream historians have found. Can you quickly summarize what he found and what relevance this is for, for today's uh, conflicts? What, what was his, um, the bottom line of what he found? Well, if, if I can summarize 1400 pages in just a, just a few seconds, basically he found that there's an Anglo-American establishment, which is, uh, generally shaping historical events through conspiracies. And um, there's a famous quote from the book, which I, I cannot uh, give it to you word for word, but basically he said that there's a 
conspiracy <clears throat> of the financial elites to uh, eliminate uh, um, sovereignty of, of nations and introduce a one world global government run by the banking, by the global banking cartel uh, through central banks and each central bank would be used in their own nation to undermine the legitimate democratic uh, structures of government and to introduce a government of of, of a technocratic um, apparatchiks uh, loyal to this banking cartel rather than to their uh, constituents. Mm. And how did this lead to war wars? I mean, I thought that his theory of the what is it the the deficit gap or whatever the gap between well, you explain it. I mean, his 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 main financial contribution contribution to financial theory because it sounds familiar to Keynesianism in a way is what he called for. Well, there, there's several layers to this phenomenon, you know, and and I'm what I'm what I'm about to to say is not necessarily from out of Carol Quigley, but you know, I also have done a lot of my own analysis because as a as a hedge fund manager, you know, you have to you do a lot of research. You you you're kind of uh, your profession depends on you understanding how the world actually works versus what they tell us how it about how it works and uh, so the answer to how wars come about has to do a lot with our monetary system and then with the with the concept of collateral right uh, namely, all the money that comes into into circulation uh, is can, does so as, as a reflection of debt. It is debt. If there was no debt in the system, there wouldn't be a single euro or dollar or yen or Australian dollar in circulation at all. There wouldn't be any means of exchange. We would have to invent something else. And so this debt has to be uh, paid by interest, whereas only the principal goes into circulation. So the only way, if I if I borrow hundred bucks and I have to repay hundred and ten, uh, the only way these other ten come into circulation for me to earn them and pay them back is by another somebody going into debt. So the whole the whole monetary system uh, is actually at its essence a large Ponzi scheme, except mm -hmm. that the debts grow much much faster than do. Uh, uh, then does the the principal. So the debt, the principal plus interest has like an exponential growth curve, whereas just the principal, just the money in circulation has a more linear curve. So there's a simple impossibility of all the of all the debts to be repaid with interest. So this creates a pressure in for an economy uh, to to pull more and more um, debtors, borrowers into the into the economic machine, right? But to to raise to, to get to get into debt to raise to to get credit, right? Uh, you need to have collateral. Uh, uh, the banks, commercial banks, which are the ones that create money out of thin air will give you a loan, but only if you can post collateral that they can repossess in case you're incapable of paying back your loan. 
So at a certain moment for any national economy, you you it becomes saturated with debt because there's only so much uh, healthy money, good collateral in this economy. And there's, there's only so much that people can pay back. So I don't know if I'm making a hundred thousand bucks a month, maybe I can service um, $10,000 a year in debt or, or, or 20. I cannot service a million dollars a month. So there's a limit to how far you can kick this Ponzi scheme. So mm. then, you know, there's, there's pressure to add other collateral. So what do, what do systems like that do? They simply reach over to some other nation to take control of their collateral. So let's say if, uh, I don't know, Iraq has plenty of oil and I am a, an oil company in my country, I might like to go and exploit their oil, right? I might like to develop their oil fields and, and, and sell that oil. And the banks in my country might like to give me credit for this endeavor, right? Except mm. the Iraqis might say, uh, no, that's our oil. We have our own oil companies. And so, uh, no, thank you. We don't need you here. Mm. Well, then, you know, the most aggressive players are going to have advantage because they're going to be able to um, lobby the government to say, well, guess what? In Iraq, there's this monster in power. We should bring them democracy and freedom there. And so let's send the military to topple the regime. Or, you know, they might develop the techniques for uh implementing uh color revolutions uh you know it might be assassination of the leader it might be cultivating alternative leaders whom you might like to somehow maneuver into power who will be yeah. more amenable amenable to your purposes and giving those development contracts to your corporations that are financed by your can banks I, yeah can i just say well so i mean is there a, a Peaceful? Do we do we have to change the whole world system? I mean, and move beyond capitalism, whatever it is that causes this, or is there a peaceful solution? One of the articles of yours that I read said that if we can persuade uh, our countries to invest in large infrastructure projects, uh, or in something like a space program or something like that, that can be a solution that can obviate the need for wars. I mean, how can we move ahead without blowing up the planet? Because now the regime change is moving on to nuclear a country with a large nuclear arsenal that says Russia. So where do we move from here? We've got two minutes left. Well, yes, that's a brilliant question. We have we have to make choices. We have to supplant this monetary system because it's absolutely fraudulent with a different one, with an honest monetary system. And then the problem arises because we are, uh, you know, human economies tend to be phenomenally um, productive and generate a lot of surplus. So we have to make decisions about how we want to invest that surplus. Do you know? Do we want uh, large militaries and uh, very powerful weaponry and use them uh, to destroy other nations and other cultures, or do we want to maybe improve the conditions at home, improve infrastructure, make it make make life better for ordinary people? Those are decisions that have to be made. They're political decisions that have to be made in the democratic process. Unfortunately, you know, there's a problem of the every in every prosperous society, you have an oligarchy that arises. So you have to have you have to think up mechanisms of curtailing the abuses of the oligarchy. And, you know, in autocratic systems like in Russia and in China and Iran and places like this, the top of the political hierarchy is above the oligarchy. So, mm -hmm. you know, Vladimir Putin can line up his oligarchs, he can, he can set the rules of the game, 
And if they breach those rules, he can arrest them, as we saw happen in 2003 when he arrested um, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who didn't heed the warning to stay out of politics. In the West, it is inconceivable that uh, you know Joe Biden lines up American oligarchs and tells them the rules of the game. So we have there's a lot we need to fix. Alex, we carry on on this uh, ongoing conversation another time. Alex Kreiner, follow his Substack and his blogs and video talks. Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. And I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with his whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. From the Cold War to propaganda and the deep state, Helen Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. So, don't say we're never lighthearted here on TNT or looking at the brighter things of life. Here is our longevity correspondent, Dr. Patrick Linden, who is telling us about the latest developments to help us live longer and his uh, efforts to make us appreciate the benefits of a longer life. So, Patrick, what have you been up to since we last spoke? You've been to some uh, conferences or something? Well, I've been to a very interesting conference, and also I gave a talk at uh, another very interesting conference. And also my book, um, The Case uh, Against Death, uh, came out in Swedish. And uh, the title is Moot Döden, Against Death and Towards Death. It's kind of double entendre. Mm -hmm. a radically uh, life-affirming philosophy. So, so that's what I've been doing. So mm -hmm. um, about these conferences, uh, well, um, the first one was uh, four days uh, in, a, in, a, in an old uh, mansion outside Stockholm, and it was the Longevity Biotech Fellowship. So today uh, there is a, a new kind of uh, a name, and that is Long Bio Longevity Biotech, and mm -hmm. uh, everyone in the kind of long biosphere 
are in different ways trying to use science to prolong health and and life. Mm. Now, um, the other talk I gave um, uh, was for uh, Vitalia, which is a pop-up uh, 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 city. That is, mm. uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a society that that first uh, meets online and then they. Uh, uh, go to a place, and they, this time they went to a place in Honduras, on the island Ruatan, that's called Prospera, and it's a charter city. So, it's semi-independent, semi-autonomous from Honduras, and there in that pop-up city, uh, Vitalia, uh, of course after Vita and life. Uh, there was a, a, a bio, a long bio conference that 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 I mm -hmm. spoke on uh, online, of course. Um, now, so so a lot of things are happening in this sphere. There's there's real uh, movement. There's a there's the movement also of of vitalism. I know you had Adam Greece, one of the founders mm -hmm. of this movement, on the show that that is advocating for the world spending one percent of global G global GDP on exactly long bio well i, I was thinking um just listening uh, talking to the previous guy i don't know if you heard him alex kreiner that you know um uh, reading his articles and so on i mean a space program a mars landing program um and a uh, or, or or the inf enormous infrastructure pro projects that china is spending on can stop some of this drive to war that the central banks are, are aiming us towards. But it seems that uh, longer lives would be an excellent sort of Manhattan project to substitute for for killing each other if we're going to get, keep our economies going. Um, but and in fact, I mean, I, I googled longevity articles before you know, this morning, and uh, the uh, there was a big article in the Daily Telegraph about a hundred and two year old man. Who was piloting a Spitfire that he'd first piloted something like 80 years ago? Wow, that's incredible! And he seemed fit and so on. And of, but of course, there's a, being the Daily Telegraph and the mainstream media. There's always a backstory, which is Battle of Britain. You young, you're going to have to fight another war against Russia. Uh, look at what a 102 year old man is capable of. You know, a 20 year old man, you can easily do it. Make Britain great again. All that stuff. But just setting that aside, it's encouraging that men of that age can pilot a, an old propeller plane. But um, as said, there are still these psychological obstacles, which is, is your is your role in this movement, if you like, uh, and where you play quite an interesting and prominent role. Can you develop these things again? Yeah. Well, so so yes. So my background is in philosophy and, and not in science. So uh, my role is really to get the idea out there that um, we should not uh, regard asking for more life as a taboo. In fact, it's a very natural and healthy attitude. If uh, life is good, then death is bad. But there is a big uh, cultural tradition that I call uh, 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 the wise view, whereby you are supposed to say that you are fine with aging, you're fine with death, and you regard it as as wise. It's it's a kind of high status view to say that you made peace with death and aging. So instead, I'm I'm saying we should rebel against this. It's a it's a terrible, brutal, inhuman condition 
the fact that we 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 grow up, we learn a couple of things, and then start a trajectory downwards. Uh, we we age, we get sick, we suffer. We see our parents get sick and suffer, and then we die. When so much potential, theoretically, still is on the table. It's it's like. 80 years, 100 years, it's like we get to taste the menu, we get to try a few items here and there. We get a, a kind of first draft of a person or a life. Mm. Just the first and draft. And that's brutal. Mm. And But we have to overcome most of literature. And most Basically, what you're saying is as anti-Western civilization, if I'm going to be provocative, as let's say feminists say, well, you don't have to read dead white males. You're sort of saying the same thing, aren't you? Because they're death affirming. I, I'm not sure. Uh, well, uh, I am against uh, uh, anyone who's death affirming f for sure, uh, regardless of, of camp. Uh, I don't see this, uh, at least not yet, as having uh, mm, categorized itself into the normal political camps where you can talk about, you know, this is the feminist view or this is the religious view and this is the secular view and so on. Or, or, or this is the left and this is the right. This is the Republican and this is the Democrat and so on. This is actually the, the, the view that, that if life is good, then death is bad, is transcending this. And in fact, for me, I think it's a relief, and I think it's something that we should be looking for in society, namely a cause that transcends all the, the playground fighting, right? Mm. All that destructive and divisive rhetoric and the camps, and we, we're in these groups, and, and, and we regard each other as, as either wicked or stupid. And, and that, that goes in a, in a very symmetrical relationship there politically and on all issues. So, but the issue of, of let's extend healthy life, there we have a social project that can be unifying mm. in, in a way mm. that I don't know almost any project can, that can be as unifying potentially. Because we all, we're all equal in the graveyard uh, and we all have a exactly. common interest in that sense. Yeah. Because exactly. we, we are squabbling Trump yeah. versus Biden supporters. Yeah. And we're like little hamsters fighting in a cage, yeah. you know, yeah. from. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and hamsters die after six months anyway. So. And I, I can tell you a very interesting thing. So, so I was about to go on a Swedish morning show, like a national uh, morning show. Uh, and uh, they couldn't uh, have me because there was, you know, something grabbed their attention, right? Some conflict grabbed their attention. It's always that. Mm -hmm. we, we, we keep looking at that thing and that thing and that thing, and we forget the kind of existential situation we're all in while mm -hmm. we are looking at the, uh, that problem and that problem and so on. Uh, we are falling apart. Our parents are falling apart. Our children are falling it, apart. It's precisely, aging, it, don't you think we're do looking that. for it's these too, conflicts yeah. precisely to avoid thinking about death we, we busy our time with small things like political daily conflicts. I mean, there's a famous thinker on, on this topic, Ernst Becker, who wrote The Denial of Death, that says mm. distraction is, is, is one of the ways that we deny death. The other is, of mm. course, that we really, really strongly identify with something that uh, lives longer than us. Of course, it can be children, but it can also be ideologies. So we become uh, a very, very fanatical because in some sense, we become part of an idea and an idea is immortal. So we become symbolically immortal. Um, 
here I think there's a very wise there's a very wise uh, philosopher and filmmaker on this on this topic of course Woody Allen right who says mm. I don't want to achieve immortality through being remembered I want to achieve immortality by not dying mm. and that's that's what I think I want to live on in my, not in people's memory but in my apartment so as um a longevity expert and um what are you hoping is going to change in our society to devote more resources to this and and what are the challenges blah 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 you know yeah so so uh, uh people who are not following this might think that well uh, there is a lot of effort on this issue there's a lot of people on this issue but actually it's just a a few thousand people who are actually working on this and of those not all of them are working on let's say the moonshots the one that that really uh, will help us uh, stave off death right because there are like two levels you could say one is the level that you live as long as you can within the natural lifespan that is you reach your ceiling and the ceiling is around 100 at the most 120 right and and all the kind of low-tech things that we hear a lot will take us there you know stop drinking stop smoking don't be too fat exercise a bit uh, call your parents uh, and, and find meaning in your life and so on all those things are very good and and also there of course uh, you know you can take molecules that you can experiment uh, metformin and and resveratrol perhaps or or, or some other molecule but Few of those have this really radical lifespan uh, quality. So of those people who just work on something that can give you radical uh, life extension, that, that is beyond the natural limit, beyond 120, say, uh, of very, very few. And there's very little money on this. So uh, Adam Grease, who you had on uh, earlier, uh, uh, last week, I think, uh, pointed out that uh, big tobacco is 10 times bigger than this, right? the, the value of it. And, and even the billionaires you can't count on, that, that you often hear that the billionaires spend so much money on, 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 on longevity, but they don't really. Jeff Bezos is, is one of the best, and he, he spends perhaps 1% of his fortune on this. So it's very, very underfunded. And, mm. and uh, 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 this is why we need a lot more awareness. People are not working on this. Not enough. Mm. A little bit, mm -hmm. but not enough. And a lot of it, this is about awareness. Because when you, people might be surprised to hear that also that there's a lot of so much skepticism around it. That mm. even when you ask people, do you want this harmless treatment that can give you healthy years up to 120? Only 38% in studies say that they want it. So there's mm. there's so much hesitancy here, and there's so much so many myths to dispel, and there's mm. such a strong you can almost call it pro death tradition in that it's mm. pro death after a healthy life within mm. the natural lifespan, right? There's an you enormous call that Buckingham bio, Palace. <laughs> yeah, there's enormous bioconservatism here. People yeah, yeah. Uh, feel that there's something wicked about asking for for something unnatural, right? Yeah. What if big tobacco and the, the military industrial complex joined forces and used their skills at promoting themselves and their lobbying skills and all the sort of talented talkers and um, marketers and scientists, if you like, working for those two institutions? I mean, the MIT employs quite a large number of engineers and that yeah. convert them into uh, 
life uh, uh, longevity with tax breaks or whatever i mean wouldn't that be it's, it's, a, an idea yeah i mean in the big scheme of things zooming out uh, if 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 you're an intelligent uh, life form looking on earth and how we're wasting talent engineers working on on weapons of of destruction right uh, engineers working on 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 food that poisoning us basically right mm. Mm. Uh, uh, engineers working with 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 tobacco and I mean and and, and sugar and 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 all this all of this talent right mm. uh, I would say wasted talent that should be going to extending healthy life it's 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 really a, a, an outrage and there are paradigms and there are paradigms that are not tested because there is not enough funding and that's an absolute outrage well give me one of those paradigms yeah uh so i learned a lot at the at the biotech conference uh, so so one uh, paradigm is uh have you heard of, of the yamanaka factors um, no oh yamanaka so he he won the noble uh noble prize uh for uh finding that you can actually uh reprogram cells that they become pluripotent, right? Specialized cell to mm -hmm. pluripotent. So, so that, that was a way to kind of avoid sidestep the, the debate with stem cells, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, what you can do is you can return an old cell to its young state. Mm -hmm. And David Sinclair in his lab has done that with the eye of a mouse so that it has regained its youthful vision. Wow. This has actually happened. Wow. This is where the money should go. And Partially why are we not reading about this in the in the head front pages of our because, newspapers? Because it's it's like trying to catch the attention of a cat. The mm. public's attention, right? It's there's always some some fire that needs to be be look there, look here, right? Mm. When the, the big the big picture is that we could be in a at the really at the edge of this enormous breakthrough, but of course it needs to be funded. We need intelligence to go towards this. There needs to be money there that attracts the talent and so on, right? Um, mm. So, I mean, there, there are some very good organizations for, 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 for listeners who think, well, this is actually worth looking into. One is Vita Dao. Uh, they can also go to the site Vitalism. Uh, Vitalism. Yeah. What what do they need to Google? Because people have it's easy to remember something you can Google yeah. than Vit the Vitalism name. IO. Yeah. Vitalism, Vitalism IO. IO. Okay. Yeah, and something right. else? Yes. Uh, Vita Dao. Vita Dao. It's it's Vita Dao. Dao. It's, it's okay. like a hub. Um, right. Okay. There are there, there are others. Once they once they start. And let's we've got uh, one minute left. Um, yeah. And what we've got is. Uh, the, the longevity movement is trying to set up uh, political communities where they can yes. exercise the vote and put that on the agenda. And uh, I hope yes. we can talk about that next time because what's happening Absolutely. in Honduras and I think Rhode Island was something, one place. Yes. Uh, yes. But just, uh, I just want to thank you very much, uh, Dr. Patrick Linden, and your excellent book, most likely to be read in English, The Case Against Death. Uh, and also Moot Durden, if you speak Swedish and are one of our Swedish viewers. Thank you very much. Patrick Linden, and I hope to talk to you soon. This is TNT Radio. Thank you.